Hello, and welcome to an episode of Ray's Music Reviews. Today we are reviewing Slayer's Rain and Blood, classic thrash metal record, which we have a lot of thoughts and opinions on. We are joined by KP. What's going on? What's going on? And I am Ray. We're uh, also going to have AJ come in for a little bit, uh, an so interview I did up at my work. And we will do all of that after this. Welcome to Ray's Music Reviews. Come along as Ray embarks on a musical journey by deep diving into artists, genres, and albums of his choosing. And now, Ray Reviews. Slayers, Rain and Blood, an album released in... 1981. You want me to jump on here for a minute? Absolutely. This, I mean, this is... Uh, I, I mean, I pretty much picked this record because it seemed like... Um, Something I could talk about. I mean, about. I, yeah, I, I know you um, have a lot of like, uh, you, you kind of talk about like being in the metal when you were. Um, I like, wasn't this heavy. Uh, I was not this heavy when I was a kid. But right. I mean, uh, a couple of my buddies were, you know, listened to it a little bit then, and then I got into it a little bit more in college, and then a little bit more, you know, as time goes on. I don't think I've ever spent them. I mean, we, I mean, we've been going over this record now for. Two months, something like that. Woof. Yeah, I, I've been drinking blood in my spare time, <laughs> sacrificing. Yeah, small things. It's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, months to be listening to songs about horrible war crimes. Uh, just everything. Everything just, is in here. The yeah. Slayer begins in 1981. They're a thrash metal band from Huntington Park, California. You have Kerry King, Jeff Henneman, Dave Lombardo. Tom Arroyo. Dave Lombardo is the drummer. Henneman and King are tag team guitarists. Henneman being, I guess you would call him the lead, but King is a King is a very accomplished guitarist as well. Of course. Um, Tom uh, Henneman's not with us anymore, but uh, Tom Arroyo is the bass player and the vocalist. The music is written by King and Henneman. The lyrics are written by King, Henneman, Arroyo. So, Rain and Blood's the third studio album. It is from, uh, you have Show Me Mer- Show No Mercy in 83. You have Hella Waits in 85. And then they bring this one in 86. Uh, lyrically, it covers serial killers, torture, genocide, organized crime, secret societies, occultism, terrorism, right. religion, anti-religion, fascism. This is all wiki stuff. Fascism, racism, and war. And through all of that, it uses like the satanic imagery, that kind of um, even on the album cover. And of course, Lombardo, the drummer, draws a legendary, right. iconic Slayer symbol that he draws. And his concept for drawing it was, what would it look like if I was a murderer and I was carving Slayer into someone's skin? Right. And so that's why it looks like it does. The album cover is is uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. The, the Slayer insignia it leans like, yeah, because it, it looks like Lombardo's a lot of left-handed. like really old like um, I forget the exact painter's name, but it looks like the way he depicted hell. Hieronymus Bosch depictions of hell that you see in like old like Renaissance paintings or whatever, um, which is kind of it, it reminds me of that imagery. Uh, which I mean, it also is a literal depiction of hell. So uh, in the album cover itself, you want to kick it to AJ's talking about what he thought about the album's uh, actual. Music? Absolutely. And then we'll kick it back to us? that'd be great. Okay, this is what AJ thought about the music portion of it. Now, it's we did this outside, so there's a little bit of interference here and there. 
but we're cutting his interview into parts so that it won't get on your nerves too much. We'll be back after this. All right. We're back with a segment that Ray lets me do every now and then where we talk to AJ about music. We have Slayer up this week. And AJ, can you tell me any thoughts you might have on Slayer, Rain, O Blood? All right. Rain, Blood. You're talking about a, a preeminent album in, in thrash metal. Um, one of the great things that Slayer, I feel like, did with this album, one of the reasons it uh, carried over a bit more than maybe some of the albums uh, of other thrash artists even before and even after that, and I think it may have had something to do with the fact that uh, Rick Rubin was producer on it. You know, he brings a, a certain level of intelligence and musical production to the game. Um, and so one of the things you get with this album, with the Slayer album, is they understand two things very important. Even in a thrash metal album, it's very important. They understand tension and release cycle, and they understand melody. Even a thrash album needs to have some melody to it. And you see that, especially with the opening riff for uh, the title track, Rain and Blood. That is an opening riff that carries through music beyond genres. You ask Sir Mix-a-Lot, he knows that opening riff. You ask Celine Dion, she knows that opening riff. You know, even though it's a thrash metal album, it is iconic. But that's one thing they understood really well is, is melody and tension and release. They understand that you can't keep it at 11 the entire time because then that's your baseline. You have nowhere to go to. So what Slayer does, particularly in this album, very well is they understand when to throttle back. They understand when to go into a halftime. They understand when to go into a breakdown. They understand when to slow it down just enough to hit you again so that that speed and that aggression has the impact it's supposed to have because you have a contrast to it. Contrast is really the key, isn't it? It's yes. what separates it from a lot of other thrash metal. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's not about just playing fast and hard the entire time. They understand that those moments have more impact when they're contrasted. That speed and aggression has weight to it when it comes from a slower build. And as much as Slayer has a reputation for playing hard and fast and being thrashy, listen to this album. Listen to how many slower buildups and intros you have in this album. They understand, and, and the breakdowns as well. They understand when to throttle back just a little bit but without with it still being a thrash album, with it still being unbelievably aggressive. It is completely unbelievably aggressive. Right. right. After the interview was over with, with AJ, um, we talked a little bit more about it. He stated that he felt like the, the hero of the record, the guy that stands out the most is the drummer. Right. Do you feel that way? Um, I think in a lot of certain songs, I think the rhythm section is um, kind of insane. Uh, I mean, there there are tons of like blast beats on this album. Uh, he focused on that too, right? I, I think that a lot of the ways the in the that it's not just like blast beats all the time. I think that the grooves are uh, a lot of the time really interesting. I think that uh, what was uh, the exact song that I'm thinking of, where it kind of goes into this um, 
really kind of nasty groove. I think Altar of Sacrifice I think slows Altar down at the end. It's got a really good groove, and then it kind of slows down at the end. Yeah. I and think then I, it dives into Jesus Saves, which is very... So fast. It's so good. Right. And then, that, of course, that tears into criminally insane, which, again, is, like you said, super so fast. Punk. It's super punky, but with, of, like, right. a little bit more complicated than that. I think I was thinking of Aggressive Perfector. This album is very much like when you think of thrash metal. Right. Like this, this album does it. It does have moments where it like it thrashes. Right. Um, and they're but they're the big four. You know, you have your Anthrax, you have Slayer, Slayer you have Metallica. Megadeth, and you have Metallica. And the difference I think between those four bands that are the big four and a lot of the other stuff that you get with thrash metal and thrash is the evolution of the of course. New age of hard rock and British heavy metal, right? And, and then that kind of turns into it's it's uh, you mix that with you know you have that influence. You also have you know Sabbath is is pre predates all of this. Right. It, I would I would guess this is the genesis of the heavy, uh, scary music. I don't want to say evil because right. that's not fair, um, but it is scary. Content is is rough, right? And those. They take that, and then you have, you know, the Eddie Van Halen, right? Who, who goes up and down the guitar so crazily, and and then you have these guys really embrace that along with the double brace, bass drum kick, right? And the dueling guitars in this case, on you know most of these bands have dueling guitars to go with the double bass drums, and it is unreal. But there's also like. It's melodic. Of course. But now there's also machine gun fire portions. And none of, you know, when it's slow, it's slow in a grinding, heavy way. And the music, the music to me fits the lyrics perfectly. Absolutely. It like, it sounds hellish almost. Mm -hmm. Like I, um, and I think it fits the lyrics too. Like the, um, the opener Angel of Death, which is a song about, um, Auschwitz, I believe. Uh, It's about a specific, specific doctor in, in, in Auschwitz that was... Yeah, performing horrible experiments right. on humans, and I think like there there is an aspect to it. This was hell for people. I remember there was kind of not necessarily a quote. There was a thing where a Holocaust victim had wrote on the wall like, "If there is a God, they will have to beg for my forgiveness." The way that this record kind of depicts like all, all, all of these things, like all of this war, all of this this serial killings, this Auschwitz specifically. Joseph Mengel is the is the uh, right. is the doctor who's, At, who's doing these awful yeah. things. The way it kind of depicts all of these as like hell. If we back up real quick, Metallica has a formula. Right. It's it's a little bit long. Guitar solos are long. Right. Megadeth, similar. As a matter of fact, Megadeth, Metallica, you know, their genesis together. Right. This record, Henneman states, everybody credits Rick Rubin for shortening up what they were doing on the other two albums. Right. And kind of take, take, telling them to turn it more punkish. Right. Because they get enough of a head of steam that they get on that they begin to get on Def Jam Records' radar, which is Russell Simmons, Rick right. Rubin. Rick Rubin comes in to produce the record. He, he Obviously, the record is immaculate, 
in what it's trying to accomplish. Shorten up the songs, punk, be concise, that kind of thing. But Hinneman had already decided, he was listening to Metallica, and he said, you know, I'm finding the fact that they keep repeating the long, right. the long solos in their records boring. And I wanted to get rid of that. So you have a record. I think it's 29. Yeah, it's, this album is very not short. Very long. Right. Everything they're doing, it happens quickly. The stories are told quickly. And it is, it, it, like you were saying earlier about the hellish, it sounding, it's a brutal record. It's, yeah, it's it, out of that big four of thrash metal. The thing that makes Slayer stand out to me the most is that they were by far like the most visceral and violent. The way they kind of talked about war too, because in Metallica, like an album like Master of Puppets, they kind of talked about war in a way where like it was more of like political in the sense that like they were talking about how the government was like using soldiers and whatever. It's and, a concept. Right. And with Slayer, they're more talking about like the, I guess like the humanity of it almost, or the inhumanity of it. It's personal. Um, it's it's very it feels personal. Piece by piece, in order to get out of this world that we live in, you, you can only go out one way, which is piece right. by piece. In other words, you have to die. You know, necrophobic, bah, altar of sacrifice, uh, Jesus saves, reborn, post mortem, like all of these epidemic, yeah, uh, raining blood, aggressive protector. All these songs are pushing that frustration of what mankind can do to one another. And I think that probably takes us to a good spot to where we can listen to what AJ had to say about the content and the controversy that goes with this record. Did you get any, uh, in any way freaked out? Some people get pretty freaked out about the, you know, the Nazi concepts going on, or did you think this is a so, cautionary tale of evil? Right, so I think what Slayer does very well with this album, um, and it's something that other musicians have done as well, as well as some of the great directors that you think of, uh, other great artists. What they are doing is they are putting a microscope, they are putting the lens, they are putting the focus on some of the darkest sides of humanity. And I think that they're doing that on purpose because we need to see that sometimes. We need to see and understand the evil, like when, when, uh, when Maiden dives into the evil that men do is yeah. all I know and all that. Right. It, that's, that's where you're coming from. Right. This is the same thing as, you know, looking at, if you say a film like Schindler's List, uh, even something like Scanners or something like that, you have ways of confronting the, the horror and grotesqueness of humanity, of the world. Uh, and that is something that artists a great artist can do in a really skillful way, and I think Slayer does that very well in this album as well. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think they do a great, great job of that. So, uh, I'm sorry I'm kind of rambling and kind of taking over a little bit here, but there yeah. is controversy with the record because Absolutely. we're talking right. about occultism. We're talking about right. uh, mass murderers. We're talking about, you know, it, it's of course, tough just, top. Just with Go the ahead. content of the record, I mean, it just not even the stuff that's like in, like built within the lyrics, but just like the, the whole satanic imagery and all of that stuff. Like, of course, mm -hmm. that's going to spark something, right? That's going to spark outrage. And I, I think part of that was kind, and I think that was kind of the appeal. I don't know the way the way religion is used in this record is. 
the point of the religious aspects of this is either to be satanic or uh, mocking. Right, like Jesus you know. saves, right? Correct. Kind of a, a song about how like religion is used to justify horrible acts. Yeah. Like like uh, Auschwitz. There are books on like how Adolf Hitler and all of them used religion as a way to justify what they were doing to those people. Right, and a lot of people, you know, understandably so, well, not just just flat out. You, know, you can say yeah. it. Most of the wars we fought have to do with religion, religion. and things like Absolutely. that over the course of time. And so you have those aspects. Now, there is some weirdness there. They, they of course, do wind up having a portion of their following that is and, Nazi yeah. sympathizers and worse. Skinheads, you know, the kind, the kind of folks right. that... Now, Arroyo says that he felt they were creating a parody with some of these songs. And while Tipper Gore and people like that felt like what he was doing was trying to channel up energy towards these evils, he thought they were trying to create an imagery that would scare people, much like what Sabbath did years and years before that. But they also said, like Hinneman said, I didn't say that the angel of death was evil because I thought that was obvious that what he was was evil. And I do think that when you listen to this record, it doesn't... When you hear Obey Your Master, Master, Master of Puppets, and you see everybody chanting that in a crowd, right? it it does have a weird thing like, a, do they necessarily understand, understand. what we're saying yeah, here? Yeah, you tell me that story all the time of that time you went to a, a Black Sabbath concert or just an Ozzy. It was Ozzy. Just Ozzy, right? Right. And you can tell the story. Well, you, that's a perfect example. He's playing War Pigs. Of course. And when it's done, you have these, it, it's... War Pigs is a it's a tough song, similar to what we have here about the horrors of war, right? Specifically about the American war machine. Well, I say specifically because on the on the screen behind Ozzy was Vietnam War, just right. horrible pictures of mutilated bodies and areas be, being blown up, uh, Agent Orange being dropped, and then at the end, an American flag is waving over these horrible scenery. Right. And the crowd begins to just cheer because America war, right? right? And that was literally the opposite of not only the video, but right. of the point of... Of the song. And I don't think, when I listen to this record, I don't feel like we're no. channeling up people to enjoy this. No. It's very much like a, a, a really well done horror movie when you walk out thinking, yeah, it's just like, oh God, right? Right. And and there was, there is evil in this world. And AJ talked to me about this too when we wound up talking about it. Is the influence of this record? It it transcends genres, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You see influences this. First of all, even if you just want to look at rock and roll or at metal. Mm-hmm. Um, there are bands today, anything from Limbiscuit, you know, new metal corn, anything from that to more modern rock. You look at anything from this band and this album in particular has influenced all that because what it did was it showed it showed musicians that you can be fast and heavy, you can be aggressive and still catch people's attention with it. Uh, and 
they show that there is a call for that. There is a market for that. It's not, the used to be the, the kind of industry wisdom was, you can't play that hard and fast. People aren't gonna, are not gonna like it. They're not gonna listen to it. Right. You know, that's not gonna be played on the radio. It almost, when you're dealing with this style, with, when you're dealing with this subject matter, you, it needs to be scary. Right, that's, the, that's the, the, the point of it. And kind of one of the ideas behind when Slayer, Slayer in general and thrash music uh, in general, um, but Slayer being a, a huge influence in the genre, is that kind of idea of like, you know, your parents hate it. It's like, you know, your parents listen to it. Like, what is that? That's not music. But Slayer embraced it. Your parents are supposed to not like it. It's kind of not for them. It is a, it is a way to get the aggression out. It is a way to kind of get the, the anger out. It is a catalyst. It's catharsis for that, those emotions. Right. Um, and so it spoke to a lot of people. You know, it speaks to a lot of people who have to live on that darker side of humanity. It's not for, you know, it, it, it may not speak to people who are living upper middle class in the suburbs. Right. But it speaks to a lot of people who don't live that kind of life. And that's a lot of people in the world who don't live like that. It well, speaks to veterans who have come back and they've seen the horrors of war. It speaks to kids who are, are uh, cast out or bullied and, and who are just angry at the world. It speaks to that. It gives some sort of catharsis for that. This was the kind of music that appealed to disenfranchised youth. Right. Because their life isn't pop music. Of course. Right. It's the same thing with, it's not the same thing, but there are similarities with thrash metal and with, uh, you could even say there are similarities with the Nirvana, Soundgarden. Right. Because the content isn't as, as grossly violent in those records but it right. is well, most of the time a depression from the other side of it gangster rap Stuff. that's yeah. those things that appeal to a disenfranchised group because their lives aren't happy absolutely they don't have a way to get out of a scenario where there's a there's hopelessness around them and right. and this is something that those people latch onto which is again why a tipper gore gets scared because it's first of all Right. This is appealing to people that are far below her financial. Right. You know, that's a socioeconomic scenario she doesn't get. Right. Right. Tipper Gore, famously, Al Gore's wife, who, according to, according to Laura, her darling Nikki on her daughter's turntable and decided that there needed to be stickers on albums that allowed you to know whether or not something was graphic or offensive in content. There's, there's music for everybody, right? Of course. And this music is for, for this, it's for the same people that like to go to horror movies, but it's also for the people who are dealing with a life that isn't pleasant. Right. Is there, like we said, that's, it did appeal to some people who were skinheads, racist, that, that, that's, evils. That's like kind of the, yeah. I don't know the exact word, like kind of like the push and pull effect, right? Is that like there are a lot of these metal records and metal bands that I do like appreciate or whatever, but I do feel like in some way that when Dave Mustaine has done and said what Dave Mustaine has been doing and saying for the past like 10 years or so, or like even like to a smaller extent, like Metallica putting like the Don't Tread on Me snake on their black album, that there are people that like that in the metal community and stuff like that. Even if I appreciate some of the records that Mustaine 
uh, has made a lot of those classic Megadeth records, a lot of like the classic legendary Metallica records. Well, well, um, that's the trick. Well, first of all, let's say a band like Metallica. Lars and James don't agree with each other politically. That's the funny thing. You know, three out of four guys in that band, I don't think, agree with James politically. Right. Megadeth's a little different because that is primarily that's the voice of Dave Mustaine. Right. But there's also there is a thing, and it's frustrating because as the world has kind of gotten to where we start to learn more and more about these artists. Right. You know, like with me, going back to like Clapton. Mm-hmm. You know, Clapton, you know, keep keep England white, I believe was what he said. Absolutely. In a drunken stupor during a concert many, many years ago before he got sober. And then, you know, what, what do you do with that? How do you compartmentalize that right. with the music? And it is frustrating. You learn that an artist wasn't the person you thought he was. Right. Do you immediately quit listening to his music? Right. I don't know. I don't know if you're supposed to. I also don't know, like... Like, for example, you know, I, I, I love the song Layla by Clapton. There's the fact that, you know, Eric has, I haven't heard much great about him as a, as a human. And that's not just the political stuff. But now, again, I don't know the man. Let's, no, let's be, be with that. But, and then you turn around and you say, okay, Rita Coolidge, she writes a piano part for a, a song she hopes will wind up being a Clapton song. Right. He doesn't use it. And then it winds up coming up later on with Derek and the Dominoes as the piano outro. And so now Rita, Rita Coolidge wrote probably the best part of any song Clapton's ever done. And so then when I listen to that song, am I supposed to enjoy the fact that it is one of my favorite songs? Right. Or do I have to always go, man, you know what? He didn't he, he didn't write that part. Or Dwayne Allman didn't write that part. Right. You know, that was stolen from somebody else. And the manager supposedly wouldn't let her talk to Clapton and stuff like that. So right. I don't know that Clapton purposely stole that from him or whatever. Or Bark at the Moon, right? Ozzy Osbourne is famous for having a lot of his, Sharon supposedly, has them sign over the rights to the music in order to keep touring with him. Right. Now, what do we do there? Do we get frustrated that somebody else wrote the Ultimate Sin record, Jakey Lee, or do we just enjoy it for what it is and hope they get that figured out? I've always heard of the phrase, separate the art from the artist. And it's, I, I understand it, but I also don't particularly like it, or if that's not the phrase, or I don't subscribe to it generally, even if there are artists that like whose music I do consume that aren't like great people or whatever. You're a big Kanye guy. Yeah. And he's put, he's, he's put a lot of stuff into the world that ain't great. He's uh, actually been pretty cool lately. And also, silent. Well, there's also a thing where even when I am in the mood for listening to a Kanye West song or listening to like any number of old like black metal, like Norwegian black metal stuff, mm-hmm. right? Or any, just any, there are so many artists out there that haven't done stuff like that. I can listen to it, but I don't necessarily feel comfortable going on a platform and actively like recommending it or whatever. Right? Is there okay. like a thing with that? But right. there's also like I also want to talk about these pieces of art and I and I I'm really passionate about some of these pieces of art. And there's there's just so many avenues to it, right? Like there are artists who are horrible people who are still out there still touring. And what does that have to do with someone like Varg Vikerns, who is an awful, terrible person, uh, who who is seemingly indefensible? But he's also been like banned from every social media platform in the world and has been like, ousted to the forests of Norway 
or whatever, where he's only like racist to his dog and himself. Like, what do you what do you do about that? Like, what th- th- there has to be a difference. At some point, you have to enjoy the art for the art, right? Right. And it is okay to absolutely, if you say, "Hey, man, I just can't. I can't do this with with this artist anymore. I got to fast forward over right. that. I got to do whatever. That's fine." And it is a personal choice. Sometimes, too. Now, let's imagine, like, I know that Henneman has, and Kerry King, I think, I think think both those guys have collected some World War II memorabilia, things like that. And if I'm wrong about that, you can hit me in comments and let me know. But but this is more of a hypothetical thing. Anyway, I believe the Henneman quote was, uh, I'm not satanic, but I do find Satanism interesting. That's kind of a that's a slippery slope with me, because I totally get where like the the lead singer for Disturbed, right? Uh, uh, Draymond, David Draymond. Draymond. He has publicly said, you know, right. Whatever about those guys, like I, I can't. Jewish, I'm not going to deal with that, right? I'm not going to deal with that. You think that you can collect stuff like that, or you're going to allow something to be in your fan base that 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 makes you? Hey, I get it. Yeah. If that's where you want to get, if that's where you want to get off the boat on. Absolutely. Yeah. Do it. Absolutely. And, and no problem. But by the same token, I do think that even if you find there's a song, Spaghetti Incident, there's a hidden song on it. And if you back when there was these things called CD players, right. it would Spaghetti Incident is a GNR record, a Guns N' Roses record. And it's once you get through it, it the, your, your disc player would start counting weird numbers until it got to a certain one. And boom, this right. acoustic song with just Axel singing plays. It's called Look at Your Game, and it's written by Charles Manson. And Axel's point to putting it on the record was, I think it's important that people know that even in the most evil of people, there can be beautiful things that come out of that. And I don't know what to do with any of that either. I know they wound up donating a huge portion of whatever proceeds they got to... System of a Down also... Sorry, System of Down also have a song, uh, ATWA which was inspired by a lot of the um, environmentalist things that Manson had said. And it, again, it's weird to think of somebody like that in that context. Right, but the other thing is that specifically, especially this genre, the thrash metal genre where you have the big four, a lot of their music delves into war, evil, scary, and I think it's important that that's out there. Of course. Because I, I don't think that you can not address these issues. Absolutely. And somebody's got to do it. And it's also a cultural cornerstone as well. Like this absolutely. album is a landmark in metal history. Right. Like, right. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, AJ talks about, you know, uh, in the interview you heard earlier, how pretty much everybody knows the riffs to Rain and Blood. Right. You know, and, and you don't have to be, uh, you may not know where it's from. Yeah, the dun, 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 dun. But you yeah. heard it, and you know Absolutely. it, and it feels, you know, and you get it. What you yeah. been listening to? I've actually been listening to some Outkast recently. Just, yeah, you know, like all-time great. I've been listening to some Common, too. Great artists, both of those. Common, yeah. Common Common is, kind of sucks how, like, I, I think a lot of, like, newer, younger rap fans aren't huge into a lot of, like, conscious hip-hop and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. One of my And Common is one of my favorite rappers to, like, come out of that whole thing and when we talked about Kanye and you know like the whole B album is like Common who like there wasn't too many people better at conscious hip-hop than Common was 
and Kanye, who I don't think there was like anyone better at producing conscious hip hop than Kanye was. They mixed together so well um, on that whole record. I also listened to Like Water for Chocolate, which is also a really good album. I listen, I've, I've been starting listening to the Magnetic Field 69 Love Songs, uh, which is uh, exactly, I mean, it's what it says on the tin. It's uh, like a quadruple album of 69 love songs. And it, it is quite good. It's quite good. It's not an album that you listen to in like one sitting though, uh, because it's again, 69 love songs. Um, so it's one of those things where you're like, you, you, yeah, you ought to take some breaks in between the separate discs or whatever, but it's been quite enjoyable. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, singular songs that I go back to on that. Some Michael Jackson, some Michael Jackson songs here and there. Specifically this time I got into Man in the Mirror. It's a song that a lot of people aren't huge on because they think it's like cheesy. I, I don't think that's necessarily like a bad point of the song or whatever. Like I think like you could say that about pretty much any song that has a message like Man in the Mirror does. It doesn't, it really helps that Michael Jackson's performance is just like uh, great. You want to listen to you know what I listen to? What did you listen to? I listen to a lot of Rufus and Shaka Khan, mm. a lot of solo Shaka Khan. I think she's a fantastic artist, and if for some reason I wound up hemmed up with her, if you want to get into some, go to your Spotify, pull up Shaka Khan, and just listen. To hit the popular list, mm. and it will run off. Ain't nobody's one. I'm every woman too. Through the fire is three. I feel for you is four. Written by Prince. Right. Fantastic music. Fantastic music. I listen to uh, ELO's Out of the Blue. I listen to some okay. Faces. I listen to the New Stones record. The New Stones record, buddy. When you say new, do you mean like new as in like entirely new composed songs, or like as in they like wrote old? It recently. So wow. Mm-hmm. I thought when you said new, I thought you meant new in the way that like the Guns N' Roses. I, I think they literally like everything they've ever written and recorded is put out. Like with Guns N' Roses, they got a. I think it was out. They got like a vault of stuff that they can just go back on. Axel wrote three albums worth of material for Chinese Democracy, which is one right. reason why it's so weird, because they just were like picked in songs. Right. Like, I can't pick ten songs. I wrote three different rock operas. You know what I mean? And they were like, <laughs> you know, you guys have pick three songs. Uh, ten songs. So what they've wound up doing is like this song, perhaps, that Guns put out, and the songs before that, Slash and Duff, who weren't with him during those sessions, have gone back in and re-recorded the guitar parts and the bass parts, and it changes the dynamic of the songs. Right. Because Slash doesn't do things, and, and I, I, they, I think they've redone the arrangements, too, to some degree. Right. So the only thing that's the same is the vocals. Right. Because Axel doesn't go back in and redo his vocals, but they, so the, the entire song is different even right you know now but with the stones i do believe that now there there is a song on there i believe the album hasn't come out yet they have one song called angry that's out i do believe bill wyman and uh charlie watts are on one of the songs but i also think maybe uh, if i'm wrong i'm sorry i think mccartney might be on one i think you know they they pull different people to play right to play drums and bass on these different records and stuff like that. So, uh, good songwriters, uh, Keith Richards and yeah. Mick Jagger, they wrote a couple hundred songs <laughs> over the years. But anyway, yeah, so that's where I am on it, and we're gonna do something on cover songs. songs. Maybe pick a, you know, a lot of bands have done cover records. Mm. I think Garage Inc. is the name of Metallica's cover record. Of course, Spaghetti's one. Um, 
What's I don't remember the Rage Against the Machine. Johnny Cash had a couple of cover records. That's with Rick Rubin as well. Mm-hmm. There is an episode out there that we can do about just Rick Rubin material. Right. He's yeah, a really he's, he's, he's a, like yeah he's a really segments. yeah he's a really interesting um, uh, like producer just like in the general concept of stuff because like he said he like he had no clue what he was doing up there mm-hmm. and there are some albums where it's like dude you produced like Paul's Boutique without like no idea mm-hmm. but you can also listen to an album like Californication and you could be like oh yeah it does kind of sound like all the instruments are clipping in and out mm-hmm. well Which, I mean well, Californication made a lot of money so I say that right 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 well the other thing is. I think that sometimes with Ruben, some producers, all their stuff sounds the same because they're producing the, you know, they're forming the artist. Whereas I think Ruben wants to go wherever the artist wants to go. This has been Ray's Music Reviews. Shout out to our friends at the Gin Project, the GINN Project. Uh, We're we're over on the Daily Smart. Uh, Thank you so much for having us uh, on the Daily Smart, by the way, because I'm pretty sure that's just a place for wrestling podcasts. Yeah, it's pretty cool that they put us on there, too. But uh, it's really cool that they allow um, uh, us to do this little music thing on here. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that has this has been uh, Ray's Music Reviews. Copyright 2024. Go home. Is it 2024? Is it not 2024? I think it's 3. 2023. Good. Go I'm home. Sorry. <laughs> Go home. Go home.